this French lawyer thought he had a good deal. He was going to pay this 90-year-old woman 2,500 francs a month, that's about $500, until her death. And on her death, he would receive outright her fabulous apartment in the French city of Arles. Now, this is a French thing. Um, people purchase an apartment for life and the elderly person who lives there receives a monthly stipend from the buyer and then the buyer hopes to get a real estate bargain um, upon their death. But it all depends on how long that person lives. Well, in this case, um, it looked like a good deal because the lawyer was 47 years old when he entered into this arrangement with the 90-year-old. But she outlived him. Yeah, he died at the age of 77 and she well, went on to live to be 122. And she, the lawyer and his descendants ended up paying her three times the value of that apartment. Well, a word or two about this woman named uh, Jean Calmont. Um, she was very active. She rode her bicycle until she was 100 years old. Um, she uh, outlived her husband, her daughter, and her only grandchild, uh, who died in a car accident. Uh, she recalls, at, recalled as a, as a young girl, she worked in her father's shop, and she sold uh, watercolor and paper to um, uh, Van Gogh, uh, the Impressionist who spent a good deal of time in Arles. The moral of this story, don't uh, underestimate our elders. Um, we tend to do that a fair amount in our society, especially this time of year, because Christmas, we are told, is, is a season for the young. But things were a little different that first Christmas. Jesus was born into a society that greatly treasured and valued the wisdom and experience of those who are older. They took seriously the, the commandment to honor parents and to honor the previous generation. So today we're gonna to focus on two lesser known figures of the nativity story, Anna and Simeon. Now the Gospel of Luke tells us that, that right after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph take their baby to the temple to present him to God. And it's at the temple where we meet Simeon uh, a righteous and devout man who has spent his years imagining a better future for his people. And we meet Anna, a, a widow of advanced years who ever since the death of her husband has devoted her life to the worship of God. Well, there's a lot that we can learn from these two. Uh, outwardly, they are most likely bent over with the years, but inwardly, they, they live on tiptoe, straining to catch a glimpse of God. They hum with anticipation, attuned to hear and see what God is doing in the world. They have shaped their lives around the promise and the presence of God. So they are just ready, ready to recognize and celebrate the birth of Jesus. They also... Um, Anna and Simeon, they challenge us to look forward rather than backward. They are much more interested in the future than in the past. 
And, and that really doesn't surprise me because time and time again, I have discovered that the oldest among us are usually the ones that care the most about the future. Now, along with this, the oldest among us often are the most radical followers of Jesus. Um, in their lifetime, they have been mission workers um, all over the world, civil rights pioneers, um, soldiers in the war on poverty, creators and sustainers of organizations and efforts um, that try to make the world a more just place. In retirement, such folks are the arms and legs and heart of the church. They are the ones who prepare dinners for families in crisis. They sit beside friends who have lost loved ones. Um, they pray. They pray for those in the church and those in the world in need of God's attention. They support the work of the church with their time, their money, their energy, and they come to church every Sunday or worship online every Sunday. Whether the worship service is inspiring or boring or somewhat somewhere in between, knowing that their time to influence and shape things is coming to an end, the oldest among us have a passionate interest in, in what will happen after they are gone. Simeon and Anna are such people, committed, faithful, disciplined, focused on the future, committed to a future they will not be a part of. And, and they are models for how to wait because they've been waiting for Jesus for a long time. And, and then they're waiting, it's filled with eager anticipation. They both stay awake and alert as they, they, they wait for God to appear in the world. But I wonder if I've, I've painted a picture of Annie and Simon, Anna and Simeon that's just a little too perfect. Um, David Steele was a Presbyterian minister and writer, and he, he, he wrote a poem about Simeon. And in that poem, he suggested that Simeon was, well, losing it a little bit. That in fact, he pronounces the same blessing over all the babies presented in the temple. That whenever parents bring a newborn to the temple, he takes that child in his arms and identifies him or her as the savior of the world. It's a lovely suggestion. And it's not unlike what Anne or I do on your behalf we take a child in our arms and, 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 and we say, this one has been claimed by God. This one belongs to God. We don't tell them they have a role to play in saving the world, but maybe we should. Maybe we should. Well, in his poem, David Steele writes, I, I wished someone, some Simeon, might hold my grandbabies high and yours proclaiming to them with great conviction, you are the saviors of the world, meaning it so absolutely those youngins would live it and love it and make it happen. Oh, I'm so taken with this vision of Simeon as someone who, take, who, who, who sees every baby, every person as the savior of the world. That would mean that Simeon sees, sees, sees holiness in all people, and he thinks everyone has a part to play in saving the world. What if he's right? Well, maybe you aren't 
feeling up to the task of saving the world this month. Maybe you're, you're overwhelmed just trying to get through the days. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe there's too much on your plate. But this is work we do together. This is work we do together. But still, saving the world, I mean, it, it sounds a little grandiose, doesn't it? A little presumptuous. But if not us, who? If not now, when? I mean, God is responsible for the heavy lifting, but maybe we're all called to do what we can to make the world a more whole and just place. And you know, this season is just ripe with opportunity. So let's think about the next days. How, how might these days be different if we see ourselves as called to play a part in saving the world? Well, maybe, maybe we might ask different questions of children. One of my pet peeves of this time of year is the questions that we ask of children. We ask them, what do you want for Christmas? Um, what's on your Christmas list? What do you want Santa to bring for you? And, and I really don't love those questions. I, for one thing, asking such questions reduces the season when we celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world, the Redeemer of humanity, the one who changes everything. We reduce all that to a question about the acquisition of stuff. Now, I know that receiving gifts is a big part of how we mark this time of year, and it's fun. And But I do think that if, if it's the only question we are asking our children, we're we're selling them short. The problem is I, I, I really haven't come up with a good alternative question. And, and if you have one, let, let me know. Um, uh, here's one option. How, how are you planning on to participate in the salvation of the world? Now, even I know that that's not a, 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 a good question to ask adults, let alone children. Um, and, and, you know, I thought of other things. What, what are you planning on giving this Christmas? How, how will you share the love of God this Christmas? How will you transform the lives of the most vulnerable this Christmas? Those are good questions, big, big questions, and, and they get us thinking. God did not enter the world in human form, so we could get more stuff, but rather to transform the world into a more whole and just place for all of God's children. So how, how might we do a little piece of that work? Well, we can spend time with people who are struggling. We can try to buy gifts or to spend our money in ways that transform the world. Um, but I know that I'm preaching to the choir on this one. I know that for so many of you, your, your Christmas list includes um, reaching out to people who are going to have a, half, a tough time this Christmas, spending quality time with people you love, preparing your hearts to receive God's good gifts of forgiveness and clarity, hope and meaning. I know I haven't mentioned sending out Christmas cards and decorating the house and baking cookies and oh my goodness, those are all awesome things but maybe they should be a bit lower down on our list. Because our lives belong to God. Because God has claimed us as God's own. 
because we all have a small part to play in the salvation of the world. I want you to imagine the summer of 1918 in a small village in the Eastern Cape of South Africa. I wonder if an elder, a wise old man, took a baby in his arms sometime that summer and said, Nelson Mandela, your life belongs to God. You are gonna play a role in saving the world. I wonder if something like that happened. In his autobiography, Mandela tells of his joy when he was introduced to his granddaughter. In her face, he saw the future of his people. Now in his family, it was customary for the grandfather uh, to name the babies in the family. So he chose her name, her name, he named her Zaziwe, which means hope. All of us are in some way named hope. All of us have a small part to play in saving the world.